Well, good morning, West Cabarrus Church. Great to see you again this Sunday. Uh, my name is Ryan. I get to serve as one of the pastors here if we haven't got a chance to meet yet. Uh, we're glad that you're here as guests visiting with us this morning or if you're tuning in online for the first time, special welcome to you also. Uh, we're going to continue through the series, Prophet, Priest, and Kings. And I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 will be in verse 32. And if you do not have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to grab one on the way out. We have them in the Welcome Center. Uh, they're free. Take them with you. Or if you have somebody that's just getting into reading the Bible uh, and they don't have one, maybe they're using their phone, that's great too. But maybe you can grab one of those and, and give that to them as a gift. So, well, we're in a passage today that we're all really uh, familiar with. We're looking at David and Goliath. David and Goliath, and as I'm reading and I'm prepping this week, I'm having flashbacks in my mind of when I was a kid growing up, uh, all the flannel graphs. Maybe some of you guys can, uh, can relate to that, like the flannel graphs of David and Goliath, where you put it up there and you kind of hash out the story. I mean, for all I know, our kids could be doing some of that today with different flannel graphs up there. It's a helpful tool, right? Um, so maybe you grew up in the church and you've heard this story so many times, and your mind goes back to, to one of those memories. But even beyond church, even if you've never been around the church, you haven't grown up in church, uh, this is a story that we hear about and know a lot of times from sporting events, right? Uh, it's a good underdog story that we always love to highlight. Um, coaches will give this as a pep talk or a pep speech before uh, a game to encourage their, their players to play hard. You're going up against a team that's harder and more difficult than you, so think about this. You're the, the little baby David, and we're facing Goliath, and so use it as inspiration to kind of move forward. I've even seen and heard of leadership gurus who will use this story to motivate like corporate leaders to take on new challenges. I mean, this is used all over our uh, Western culture, and so it's something that you're probably familiar with. But as I'm reading this, I'm asking the question, um, you know, what if, what if none of these things are actually the reason God gave us this story? Even more than that, what if these things are actually missing the point of the story entirely? What if the point of this story, the reason God gave it to us, is for something far greater and more meaningful than any of these things we talk about in our culture? Now, we're really familiar with this story, but I want to suggest to you that there are some deep, deep theological truths at work in this passage that we might not see at first glance. So we're going to start in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17, but before I read that, I want to give us a little context, go back to the beginning of chapter 17 and just let you know what's going on. The Philistines are at war with the Israelites, and the Philistines have actually invaded the Israelites' land. The beginning of chapter 17 tells us that. It's not like uh, they're at the border of each other's lines. No, the Philistines have invaded, and they're on one mountaintop. And God's people, the Israelites, are on the other mountaintop. And every day, Goliath comes out and he taunts the people and curses their God and mocks and makes fun of them. And th this happens for 40 days, it tells us. 40 days, Goliath comes out and mocks and makes fun of them. And because he's such a massive man, the people shudder in fear and terror. And so this is kind of the setting. Every day, this is happening. God's people on one mountain. Philistines on the other mountain, and then in between is no man's land, where the battle will ultimately take place. So let's pick up in verse 32. I'll read and you follow along as I do. And David said to King Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. That's because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're but a youth, which means he's under the age of 20. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and it took a lamb from the flock, and went after him, and struck him, and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, put his helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with the coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not yet tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his, in, was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine saw and looked at David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come at me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I will give the bodies of the hosts of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword, and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, and David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into the bag and took out a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. This is the word of God. Pray with me this morning. Lord God, you know that I have prayed for each and every person who is in this gathering, no matter how old or how young they may be, whether they've heard this story a million times or whether this is the first time that they've heard it. But Lord, I I pray again now that you would help us to all walk away with a deeper understanding of your saving love for us. I pray now, God, that you would Help us to understand this very familiar story in a fresh way. And as we understand it, that we would apply it to our lives and that we would live out your truth to the glory of your name. Now let me invite you to pray, if you would be so bold, from the silence of your heart, that God would speak to you through this very familiar story today. Pray and ask him to do that right now.
Would you also pray for me that God would use me in my weakness uh, to glorify his name and to cause us to love him in deeper and greater ways today. Would you just pray for me now? Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk away deeply encouraged by this story. Help us to see the truth that there is a better king than David in this passage. King who loves us and came to rescue us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, we were looking at uh, just a couple chapters back uh, in First Samuel 16. And in there, there was a verse that was kind of the, the, the glue that held all of the passages together. Help us understand this. And this is a very common thing that happens in, in uh, Hebrew literature, that there will be a, a passage that's the linchpin that holds everything together. And last week, it was where God says, I, I look not on the outer appearance like man does, but I look at the heart. And we talked about what that meant for you and me. Well, today it's the same thing. There's a, there's a couple verses that highlight what this entire chapter is about. This entire chapter is going to be seen in verses 46 and 47. What you'll see is actually the speech given by David in these few verses is longer than the battle itself because the truths of the speech are really what this passage is all about. So it'll be on the screen. Look back there in your Bible. But this is what it says. This is what it's all about. This whole battle scene between David and Goliath. David says... This has all happened that the earth may know that there is a God. This is why this happened. Not to pump up a team before they go and they play a harder, more difficult team. That's not the point and the purpose of this. It's not that we be inspired by David and so we move forward in that inspiration. It is that we here today and the people at this time would know that there is a God, a true living God. God. And that's not the only thing. It says next, in the, in the very next sentence, and this, that all the assembly would know that the Lord saves. He saves. This passage wants us to understand that there's a living, true, real God. And he's powerful and he's mighty, but he is not far and distant away. He is near. He's a God who loves to save. This is what we're supposed to grasp. This is what we're supposed to understand from 1 Samuel 17, that there is a God and this Lord saves. So let's unpack those two truths today. First, there is a living God, a living God who is worthy of risk. A living God who is worthy of risk. You see, this story is not ultimately about David or Goliath, but about the Lord and his desire for the whole world, all the earth, to know him and to believe in him. God's missional heartbeat did not start in the New Testament. It's always been. It's always been that every tribe, tongue, and nation would know that he is a living God. And he has times like this where he displays his greatness in tangible ways because just like today, back then there are people who do not believe. And, and not even that they just don't believe, like they despise and deny and defame God. And that's what we find. Goliath is there defying the living God. Multiple times in this passage, that word is used. Verses 26 and 
verse 43 and verse 45, this word defy is used multiple times. And it's a strong word. It's meant to, to scorn something or to disgrace it or to curse it. And so that's what Goliath is doing to David and his people and ultimately the living God. He's cursing it, he's defying it, he's denying all of it. When we see David come on the scene in chapter 17, this might be the very first time that David has ever heard somebody curse the name of Yahweh. And when he hears this, he starts asking questions. Who is this guy? Who is this person that's cursing the living God? Now, this is beautiful because these are the first words that we have recorded that David has spoken. And in the Hebrew scriptures, the first thing that somebody speaks basically defines what's going to happen in their life. And what we find, the first words David speaks is about God being the living, breathing, active God. This is what he believes, and his whole life will be based upon that truth. Now, on the flip side of that, if you actually go back and you look at the first words of Saul, recorded in Scripture, Saul is out and he's looking for the donkeys that have wandered away, and he's trying to tell the other guy that's with him, let's give up. That's the first words that we see Saul say. Let's give up. Let's go back. This is too hard. This is exhausting. My dad's probably going to start worrying about me. And so you look at a guy who gives up and is full of doubt, which we see that's what Saul's life is made up of but not David. The first words he speaks is that there is a living God. There's an active God. And David doesn't just say it once. He continues to highlight it because he wants you to know. He wants me to know that there is a living God. David talks about it in verse 26 and verse 36 and verse 45. He calls him the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of Israel. David knows that God is alive. David knows it and that he's active. And David knows that God wants others to see that and to believe that truth. That's the reason this battle happened. And Goliath is there defying the living God. And when David hears it, it spurs his heart to action. Why? Because he cares about the glory of the Lord. He cares about the glory of the Lord. He cares about the glory of the Lord so much that he's willing to risk his life to proclaim God's goodness and to display his glory. Man, do we care about God's glory in that way? Do when we hear others defaming and uh, condescending the name of the Lord, does it stir something in our heart, a heart of passion? Because that's what happens to David. David is, is wanting everybody to see God's glory. He has the same heartbeat that the Lord has and so all throughout the story, he's trying to help us to see it's not a story about David. It's not a story about Goliath. It is a story about the Lord and his might and his majesty. So in verse 37, he says, hey guys, listen up. The Lord, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion. David doesn't start and say, hey, let me tell you how great I am. Okay, because I've done all this stuff and I'm super strong and I'm super mighty. No, he's like, the Lord did this. It's the Lord's glory. It's the Lord's might. And then he goes on a little bit further and he says to, to Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you with the name of the Lord of hosts. See, this is not about David's name. This is about the Lord's name. This is the Lord's battle is what he'll go on to say later on in verses 45 through 47. That is the Lord's battle, which is why very intentionally we started our service today with the song, The Battle Belongs. 
The battle belongs to the Lord because it's his. David is not wanting us to ultimately remember his name. To remember the name and the glory of the living God. (laughs) David knew who the story was all about. He knew who the true hero was. And so, too often, many of our interpretations or many of our applications with this miss this completely. And this is so important. We can so easily view ourselves as David in this battle, where if we can just have enough inspiration, we can overcome this sporting game or this corporate challenge, or whatever battle that's being engaged in our heart or in our life. But to David... That's not what it's about. The true hero of the story was not him. It was the Lord. And David only defeated Goliath because he was standing on the word of the Lord, trusting in the power of the Lord, living for the glory of the Lord. That's what it's all about. He believed so much in the glory of God, he was willing to risk his very life that others would see it and to believe in it. You see, one of the things that I love about First and Second Samuel is it tells us what's going on in history, what's going on externally in David's life and other kings' lives. But then when you go and you look at the book of Psalms, it tells us what's going on internally, what's going on in the hearts of people like David. And David wrote many of the Psalms, many of the Psalms. And we could choose a, a number of different Psalms to point to, but I wonder, I wonder... If when David is going to fight this battle, if what's in his mind is Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. You see, we know because of what David says, he's thinking about the glory of God. He's thinking about the power of God. He's thinking about the might of God. And this is what Psalm 8 says. This is the pen of David. David wrote these words. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes. You still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in their place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This is what's going on in the heart of David as he walks out there to face Goliath. He's looking, he's like, Lord, you're majestic, you're glorious, you're mighty. You, you through your, the power of your, not even your hands, but your fingers, have put all the stars in place and holds the universe together. And then he starts to ask, if your glory is so great and so mighty, then why do you even think of us? Why do you even think of mankind? You see, David has a whole different perspective, a whole different perspective. See, people, the, the, the other people, the Israelites standing around David, they're, they're sitting here like, David, this guy's, this guy's big. He, 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 he's a warrior. Like, he's like eight feet tall, David. He's a giant. But in David's heart, David's saying something like this. Yeah, but our God is galactic. He's the one that put all the stars in their place. He's the one that holds everything together. David has a completely different perspective. What is man that you're mindful of, men? You look at David, or Goliath and you think he's a giant? God looks down on earth, he can barely see David, right? 
because he's so big and so strong. He can barely see this Goliath that you feel like is so strong and mighty. You see, David has got a whole different perspective. If we had David here with us today and you were interviewing him and asking him, better yet, if you're telling him, hey, our culture, what we do is we use your story to talk about the underdog. And David's like, wow, you talk about Goliath as the underdog? Awesome, I'm glad you got that. Because in David's eyes, Goliath is the underdog. You realize that, right? David's not. Goliath is is the underdog because David has the living God. Yeah, Goliath might be a giant, but my God is galactic. (laughs) He is massive. He's mighty. He dwarfs everything else in comparison to him. And because he knows that truth, because he has that perspective, he's willing to risk his life for the glory of God. You see, everybody else is asking a completely different question than David. Everybody else is looking around and they're like, Man, how big is our enemy? How strong and how mighty is this guy? Who's going to be able to beat him? Nobody. He's too strong. He's too mighty. David is asking a completely different question, the question that we should be asking. He's saying, what does God want to do in this situation? What is it that God desires to happen in this situation? We have to stop asking, what am I capable of? we got to start asking, what does God want to happen in this situation? We keep thinking that our circumstances and our situations are, are bigger than what God wants to do. We have to have a proper, proper perspective of our living God. Only then, and only then, are we going to risk something for him. Only then are we going to risk something for him. All that we would, would take out a step of faith and risk something for him this week. And this is on the, the smallest scales, but when we, when we take out a, a step of faith to risk an awkward conversation to talk about the glory of God. David is willing to risk his life so that others would see the glory of God. Will we at least take a step of faith to risk an awkward conversation, to be bold, to talk about this living God who loves them and desires to save them? All that we would be that bold. This last week at I heard from a pastor that was talking about uh, one of his students, a youth like David, right? Somebody under the age of 20 that was taking a bold step of faith for the glory of God. Because he had the heartbeat that God had. The heartbeat that all the earth would know. And he said, I want all of my school to know the glory of God. So this high school student got his yearbook and he's praying through every single student by name and looking at their face that they would see and know and understand the glory of God. And that God would use him to be a part of that. This is what we need. This is very practical, but this is what we need to do to to take steps forward to risk something. To be bold for the glory of God. This was a couple years ago now, but I went to a conference that was all on um, missions. And the the kind of practicality of how we live the heartbeat of God for, for his glory to go to the ends of the earth in everyday life. And one of the breakout sessions that I went to... There was a, a whole panel of people that they were going to allow a Q&A, people like you and I, just to ask them questions. And the first person was this, like a president of a seminary, very smart guy, and they had him, like you can ask him questions about uh, how to live on mission. And then they had another person who was a professor, uh, specifically studied uh, missiology. So he was there and he had his doctorate in that, so you can ask him questions. And then the third person down was a stay-at-home mom who had no degree, <laughs> but was just faithful to, to pray and to live on mission in her neighborhood. 
And it was interesting because as they opened up the panel to ask questions, a room full of hundreds of people, everybody's asking questions, and all of them are directed not at the president, not at the professor, but at this lady that's a stay-at-home mom loving and caring for her family well. And they're like, how, how, do, how do you share the gospel with people? What does it look like practically for you to risk something and to make a bold statement for the glory of God? And it was fascinating because she just, she just talked. She's like, I just pray for my bus stop. And when I go and I drop my kids off as they go to school, what I do is I, I interact with the other moms there or the dads when they drop it off. And I hear what's going on in their life and I pray for them. And then I talk about how God has helped me through anxieties and pain and suffering and how God is an active and a living God. Just practically, I look at that and I live it out day in and day out. That's what it looks like. That's what it means for us to take a step of faith and boldness for God. All that we would value the glory of God and others seeing it and knowing it, like this story says. That needs to be our desire. That needs to be our heartbeat. That we would do bold things, expect great things from God, and attempt great things for God. Why we do that? Let's have the heartbeat of God, that all the earth may know that there's a living God. But that's not the only thing that God wants us to grasp and understand from this passage. Secondly, secondarily, he's not just a living God, but he's a God who saves. He's a God who saves. There is a living God who saves. But here's the, the interesting part. But not like we expect. Not like we expect. God is going to save his people, but he doesn't do it in the way or in the timing that the people hoped or expected, God uses the lowly to bring about salvation. Did you notice how David talks about himself in this chapter? Multiple times David calls himself a servant. Verse 32, he even says, don't lose heart because your servant will fight for you. And then he'll talk about that throughout the whole thing, that he is a servant. You realize the whole reason that David is at this battle scene? You know how he ended up there? It tells us in verses 17 and 18 of this chapter. David does not come to the battle looking for a battle. He doesn't come looking like a warrior. He comes as a courier. And he's bringing bread and cheeses. David is pepperonis away from being a pizza delivery man. Okay? That's who he is. He is the modern day Uber Eats. That's who David is. People aren't looking for him to be their hero. In their greatest hour of need, their Savior doesn't look impressive. He looks lowly. He's a servant. He's humble. Somebody goes and tells Saul, hey, we finally got somebody who's willing to fight Goliath. And Saul's probably like, I'm just glad it's not me, although he should have been the one that had gone out to fight him. And so he brings him in, and as they bring David in, I just, I can imagine Saul's face being like, wait, what? Like, this guy is a youth. Like, he's got a baby face. Like, I hope you were bringing in a guy that had, like, tattoos and battle scars all over him, and he's ready to fight, and that's not what they find. They find a very lowly servant. That's what they find. So Saul, naturally, like any of us, we have doubts whether David can pull this off, right? We have doubts like, can, can, you, can you do this? And so what we find is David in verses 34, 35, and 36, he starts giving his resume. He starts pleading his case of why he should go to battle against Goliath. And he doesn't start out real strong. I'm going to be honest. He does not start out, start out real strong. 
verse 34, he says, you know, I used to keep the sheep for my father. What? David, that does not mean that you can beat a giant. Like, he, he starts off with his, his resume of, I've been hanging out with cute little cuddly fluffy sheep all day. That's what makes me ready to fight Goliath. That would be like us going to an NFL football game, right? And jumping over the fence and running to the coach and be like, coach, put me in, I'm ready. And the coach would be like, who are you? He's like, don't worry, I've been watching like, like footage and I, I've been watching like football games for years now. Like, I, I'm good, like I know how this works. The coach would be, coach would be like, you're crazy, no, no, get out of here, right? But that's what's happening. David comes there and he's like, hey, I used to take care of sheep, which is obviously not convincing enough for, for Saul. And so he goes on. He's like, hey, as I was taking care of sheep, I also defeated lions and bears. And don't notice this. Don't, don't miss this. Make sure you notice. This is plural. I defeated lions and bears. That is impressive. And notice the, the heart of David. When the sheep are taken, he doesn't count it as loss. He doesn't just say, meh, well, I've got 99 other sheep. Like, I'm fine. I mean, that's a bear, right? Like, I'm not going up against a bear. He can have the sheep. But notice his heart, the heart of the shepherd king who would leave the 99 to chase down the one. The one who wouldn't just chase him down but would destroy the one who tries to take the sheep away. David realizes, he realizes this, and he declares it. This is what I've done in the past, but still that might not be enough. And so he goes to where his foundation is ultimately set, and it's on the Lord. He says, the Lord delivered me. The Lord did all this. The Lord helped me take care of the sheep. The Lord defeated the lions and the bears. The Lord did all of that. The Lord delivered me is what verse 37 says. You see, David is confident in the present because of what the Lord had done in the past. David had confidence in the here and now because of God's faithfulness in the days prior. So he stands here and he looks at this and he's like, no, my God who saved then is a God who saves now. Our God saves. It's just who he is. But Saul, still looking through the eyes of the world, is like, man, but this isn't the hero we were looking for. And if I send you out there, people are going to be like, whoa, this is not a wise idea. This isn't a hero that we need. We need a strong man, right? And so he's like, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to send you out there, but at least wear my armor. Which, if you remember a couple weeks ago when they made Saul king, he was head and shoulders taller than any other man. And we've seen the description of David multiple times, that he was the runt. He was the, the smallest one of the group, right? And so just imagine that armor trying to go on David. You got this giant helmet, you got uh, this armor that's hanging to the ground. Like, it's a humorous picture. And David, being very generous and kind to Saul, he's like, hey, I haven't tested it out, right? Like, I can't, I can't wear this. I haven't tested it out yet. But the reality is, he probably looks like a fool wearing that. And so he takes it off, and it says he takes a staff, which would have been his walking staff that he would care for the sheep with. And then he goes and he takes five smooth stones from the brook. Now, as he goes to fight this battle, you see Goliath is waiting there. And in verse 41, it says, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. And when he saw David, verse 42 says, which to me, it's like Goliath's out there and he's like, I think somebody's coming. 
He gets closer and closer. He's like squinting. He's looking. He's like, what? Who is this guy? Like he is small and he's the runt. Like what, what is he doing out here fighting against me? And so Goliath gets mad and gets angry. And he starts to mock David. And he starts to mock the living God. And he's like, David, you got to understand, I'm physically stronger than you, right? I'm strong and I'm mighty. I'm taller than you. You can't compete against me. I will kill you. And then he's technologically superior to David. You see, the, the, the people, the Philistines, basically brought on the, the bronze age. They were the ones that were making armor and weapons with bronze. So if you go back at the beginning of chapter 17, you'll see that there's multiple verses spent explaining Goliath's armor. Like, technologically, he is far superior to David. I mean, it even tells the, the weight of all these things. He had a, a, a cone, uh, uh, an armor or a chest plate that was 125 pounds. He had a spear that the, the very tip of the spear was 15 pounds. So he comes out there, and he laughs and makes fun of David. You bring a, a stick? You bring a staff? Who do you think I am? You think I'm a dog that you're going to shoo away with a stick like you do other dogs? No. I'm a warrior. Look at me. Look at how mighty and strong I am. And then it says that he curses David and defies the Lord again. Which that word curses is really interesting. Because it's the the same word that's used in Leviticus 24. Leviticus 24 says that blasphemy against God, cursing God was a capital offense, punishable by stoning. Stoning. So David hears the speech of Goliath, and then he makes a speech as well. And I love what David says, because David wants to make sure that Goliath understands and that we understand that there's no misunderstanding about this. David knows who Goliath is. He knows how strong and mighty he is. He knows his technological superiority that he has. He knows all that. He even restates it. You come with a sword and a spear. But then David says, I don't fail to understand what's happening here. Goliath, you do. It's you who fail to understand what I have. I come in the name of the Lord of armies, the living God. He comes in weakness, but he has the strength of the Lord. He's like, Goliath, you don't see that. You don't get it. You don't understand it. I see it. I get it. You don't. I come in the power of the living God. And he comes not just in weakness, but he comes with representation of the people. This is what God does. God saves, not how we would think he uses weakness, but he also uses a representative. You see, David is not an example. David is not an inspiration for us. He is a substitute. When Goliath comes out and challenges to battle, you don't see David say, hey, come on, guys, let's go. We're going to battle. All of us, let's go together. No. He literally goes on behalf of the people who are terrified and afraid. He goes to fight their battle. And the word that's used here in chapter 17 is champion. Very beginning of 17, it talks about a champion, how Goliath is a champion, how David is a champion. And that word is only used in this, this portion of the Bible, but it literally means a man who goes in between. And this is what David does. He goes in between where the people are and the battle in front of him. And he fights the battle on, his, on their behalf. He's the man in between. 
He's their rep- representation. And see, as he represents the, the people, what this means is he's not just fighting for them, he's fighting as them. If he wins, everything that he gets from the victory would happen to the people. If he loses, everything that he, he would gain in shame and dishonor would happen to the people. If he were brave, the people would get blessed by that bravery. David does not save them through inspiration. He saves them by being their representation. This is what happens. The victory that he wins is imputed upon the people. Now we read this story and how David wins the battle and the people celebrate. And there was a great victory that they get to receive because of what David did. But today... Today we know a greater David has come. In the book of Hebrews, it'll go through a whole list in chapter 11 of all these people of faith in the Old Testament. All these people that believed in the living God and they took a bold step of faith for him. They'll talk about Abraham and Moses. And one of the names that you find in Hebrew 11 is David. And as you get towards the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, remember all of these people. Remember their acts of faith. But then chapter 12 starts, and it's radically different because he says, but now fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. Remember all these people of the past. Remember David. Remember all these people. But fix your eyes on the living God. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ because he is the true and better David. Our job, our application from this message is not... Man, I just got to man up. I've just got to buck up. That's not the application. Your job is to wake up. Your job is to look up and fix your eyes on the King of Kings, the one who came to save you, the author and the finisher of your faith. That is our job this morning. Think about it. Jesus is the ultimate David. Jesus became weak in order to save. Though he was galactic, he became gentle and lowly. And he didn't just save us in spite of his weakness and humility, but through his weakness and his humility. He didn't just save us from a physical death like David did. He saved us from an eternal death. He didn't just save us like David did by risking his life, but more than that, he saved us at the cost of his life. This is what he did. He stepped forward and stared temptation in the face day after day, year after year, and never once did he give in. Never once. And even though he had never sinned, he died for our sin. He was our champion, the one who came in between. He willingly chose to pay the price of our sin, and he died on the cross. That's where he breathed his last breath, and he's buried in a tomb. And it looks like the adversary has won until three days later he rises from the grave. And now this is the one that we can trust in. The one who went on our behalf. And if we trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we find forgiveness and life in him forever. This, this is the ultimate purpose and point to the story. The ultimate purpose of the story is that there's a point much, much bigger than just David and Goliath. The ultimate purpose of this battle is to point to a much, much greater battle that was fought and won by Jesus Christ, our living Savior who desires to save. Oh, this is the one that we live for. This is the one who came to rescue and to save. Pray with me this morning. Lord, thank you. 
thank you that you did not come just giving an example and telling us to be of good courage. But Lord, you sent a Savior. Jesus, we praise you for dying for our sin, for defeating death in our place. We praise you, Lord, for you have ascended and your glory is on high. Now, Lord, help us to praise your glory. The living God, the one who came not just to to save but to sanctify. Lord, all our trust is in you. All our hope is in you. All our joy is in you. All our peace is in you. You are the hero. We are definitely not the hero. We're not. We're the ones that are cowering in fear of our sin and our guilt and our shame. And Lord, you came to remove all of that through the cross and through your resurrection. So Lord, exalt yourself as the hero in our lives and through our lives this week to the glory of your name we ask. Amen. Church, let's stand now and let's sing to the one who is greater.